we're going to be talking about gratitude today. And uh, as you think about that, I want to assure you it's going to be a little bit of a different kind of message on gratitude. It's not going to just be about don't take things for granted, count your blessings. Um, but we'll, we're going to talk about a radical gratitude that we see in Scripture that God makes possible for us. And this is a gratitude that can carry us through life's most difficult moments. It can change the way that we experience virtually every aspect of our lives. And my prayer today, and it's a big prayer, is that we experience something from God in this time that actually fundamentally changes the way that we think about gratitude. So to provide a little bit of context into uh, how radical gratitude works and why it's different maybe from ordinary gratitude that we experience, um, I want to share a little personal Thanksgiving story. So out of curiosity, how many people here actually had turkey for Thanksgiving? How many people? Okay, that's actually quite a few people, not everyone. A lot of people ate turkey. So when I was growing up, um, our family didn't do turkey for Thanksgiving. I was raised in a first-generation Chinese-American home, and as you might know, there are no turkeys in China. So when my parents came over here, started a family, it wasn't high on their priority list to figure out how to cook this bird that they've never seen before. And so when we grew up for Thanksgiving, we ate other things. Now, it took me till around second grade, third grade, when I realized that there's some association between Thanksgiving and turkey, and I might be missing out. You know, you, like, you do all those crafts with like tracing your hand, you decorate it, that's a turkey. And you know, talking with my friends and everyone's really excited for Thanksgiving dinner and the turkey that they're gonna eat. And so I decide that turkey must be the most incredibly delicious delicacy that exists, and somehow I've been deprived of it for my entire life. And so I start to bug my parents. I'm like, why don't we eat turkey for Thanksgiving? And they look at me like I'm a little crazy. But it actually turns out that that Thanksgiving, we went to a friend's house for Thanksgiving dinner, and our friends prepared a turkey. And so I was super excited, uh, and I grabbed myself a big plate of turkey. Now, I had never had turkey before, and so I didn't want anything to adulterate the experience. I just wanted plain turkey. And so I piled this big pile of turkey. I was so excited. So the only problem is the friends that we went to visit were also first-generation Chinese-Americans. <laughs> now, this is before YouTube, before the internet. I don't know where they found their recipe for turkey, but I'm pretty sure it was the first time they had ever cooked a Thanksgiving turkey. And so I grab a big old forkful, stuff it in my mouth, and I almost spit it out. I'm like, how could anyone be thankful for this? It's bland, it's dry, it has no flavor. I felt like someone had, you know, just bait and switched me on what was supposed to be this incredibly delicious bite, and it was actually a major disappointment. And in fact, I don't think I had another bite of turkey for 10 years. 10 years, really. My wife didn't believe me, but I'm like, no, it's true. Uh, for 10 years until I finally met someone who actually knew how to cook turkey. So, 
So here's the point. Um, the reason why I definitely did not feel grateful for that bite of turkey, and I could have, right? Because it's not like I cooked the turkey. And technically, the turkey was edible, kind of. Um, but for most of us, gratitude is tied to whether our hopes and expectations are fulfilled, right? So if things turn out well, we feel grateful. Gratitude is easy when our desires are satisfied, when things turn out better than we hope, when we get the outcome that we've been longing for. So this is true with just about anything. It's true with the things that we eat. It's true um, when we're taking a, an exam, if we're a student and we get a great grade on the exam. It's true when we start a new job. It's true when we start a new relationship. If the outcome is good, if things are turning out well, if we're happy with how our circumstances are going, then we naturally feel grateful, right? Some of you guys are still on a high because you found an amazing deal on Black Friday, and you're like, that was incredible. I'm so grateful, right? So we don't need to apologize for our human nature. There's part of it in just the way that we're wired. And, um, and actually, we sh you know, it's a good thing to feel grateful when things turn out our way. Well, we, we, uh, we should try not to take these things for granted. Um, a couple of days ago, uh, I was actually reading my hometown newspaper online, the Washington Post, and there was an article about the science behind why you shouldn't stop giving thanks after Thanksgiving. And this article described all these research studies that showed that gratitude is incredibly beneficial for us. It's tied to lower stress hormones, lower blood pressure, improvement in sleep quality, reduction of depression. So gratitude, no matter how we can find it, has all kinds of positive benefits for our lives. It's a good thing. The challenge for us is what occurs when things don't work out the way that we hope. And that's not just like a bite of barely edible turkey, but what happens when our jobs make us miserable and they're not turning out the way that we hope for? What happens when we're unemployed for an extended season of time or we've blown it on a big exam or a work assignment and now we're worried about the future? Or what happens when our closest relationships are painful and broken or we face tragedy in our lives and the worst outcomes that we never wanted. And I was thinking about this because if you're like me, a lot of times we, we have challenges just being grateful for things that we already have. And I think part of the challenge is that we can be so afraid of losing the things that we have. And I think about frankly, this all the time as a parent, whenever I'm around my daughters, afraid of what might occur, afraid of losing something that is precious to us, whether you know, it's a job, it's a, a career path, that that anxiety and that fear itself can rob us of gratitude. And when we're afraid of what might come to pass or when things actually come to pass that we desperately did not want, our feelings of gratitude tend to get diminished or disappear, and the dominant emotions that we struggle with are anxiety, fear, anger, bitterness, things that rob us of our gratitude. So Jesus actually invites us into a different way of experiencing gratitude. And in the passage that we're going to look at today, he actually lays out a secret to living with radical gratitude. That is, Gratitude that is so embedded in our lives that it endures and persists and we're able to express it no matter what circumstances we're going through. And we're going to be looking at a fairly familiar passage, but one that's not often used in connection with gratitude. 
And it's the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Of kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You may be seated. All right, so when we ordinarily think of gratitude, one of the most common phrases that we use is count your blessings, right? We like being blessed. Gifts are a blessing. Maybe you're looking forward to Christmas gifts that you hope to receive that will be a blessing. Friends are a blessing. Family is a blessing. Uh, Paycheck is a blessing. We like being blessed. And when we are blessed, and when we know that we are blessed, then gratitude flows really easily. Like when we're blessed, we're grateful, right? These two things go together very naturally. But when we come to this passage in the Beatitudes, it turns our idea of blessing on its head. Now, the first thing that I want to know is right up front, these... the the verses that we just read, this is the very beginning of Jesus' teaching. In Matthew, there are major portions of teaching, and this is Jesus' introduction to his entire ministry. It starts with these verses. So there's a sense that these verses express the heart of God in an incredibly unique way. It lays out the purpose of what Jesus' ministry is going to be about. And in these verses, Jesus confronts us, he challenges us, with a very different idea of blessing. And I want to take a look at three verses in particular because they really stand out. The first one is the one that Jesus starts with. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, there are a couple of Greek words that are often used for poor. Um, One of them means that, you know, just kind of not very well off, barely getting by. But the word that's used here for poor in spirit is actually the one that means destitute, impoverished, having nothing, being totally dependent on someone else. And so in this verse, Jesus is saying, blessed are the destitute and impoverished in spirit. And we're forced to confront the fact that destitution, poverty, being poor, these are all things that we desperately try to avoid because poverty doesn't feel like a blessing to us. And if you're listening to Jesus speaking these words, you're asking, how can the poor be blessed? What does it mean that the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are poor in spirit? And then Jesus continues, blessed are those who mourn those who are grieving loss, those who are brokenhearted, those who are anguished because of death and tragedy. These are all things that we desperately want to avoid, that we desperately hope do not become true of us. 
And yet Jesus says that those who mourn are blessed because they will be comforted by God. And there's a way that we can imagine it because, in a sense, Jesus brings God's presence. He is God's presence as he's teaching. And he's saying, I am here to be able to comfort those who are mourning. And yet there's a part of us that says, we don't want blessing that way. And then further down, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the Greek word for righteousness here has this connotation of justice, that they're these people that are hungering and thirsting for justice. And the sense of this verse is that the people that he's speaking to have been marked by injustice, that they've been treated unfairly, and they're crying out for rightness to occur, for, for things to be rectified. And there's a way in which we can think about it as Jesus, the righteous judge, is there and he's proclaiming that justice is available. But at the same time, we recognize that we hate being treated unfairly. And we don't want that blessing of being the ones that are hungering and thirsting for justice because we've been overlooked. And so one of the questions that this passage confronts us with is do we see ourselves in need of the blessing that Jesus offers? And I've been thinking about this because I often want to exempt myself from these kinds of blessings. But in the back of my mind, there's the acknowledgement that I'm going to need blessings in the way that Jesus is promising. One of the realities of my family um, over the last couple of months uh, there was a two-week period where both my mother, who is in her 70s, and my nephew, who's in his teens, they both had heart procedures done um, to address an arrhythmia. They had two different kinds of arrhythmia, but the procedures that they went through was actually quite similar. Um, they open a hole uh, in the groin, they thread a catheter up through the veins into the heart, and while the heart is still beating, they're basically able to burn out or freeze out a layer of healthy tissue that's causing the arrhythmia, and that's how the procedure is done. It blows my mind. Now, I was incredibly grateful, overjoyed, thankful when both of those, these procedures actually went very well. I was grateful for the amazing medical technology that made the procedures possible. I was grateful for the skill of the surgeons, grateful for God who was able to cover the healing with his grace and his mercy. But behind my feelings of gratitude was a fear. And you might identify with this fear if you really think about the things that you're grateful for. What if things had gone the other way? What if something had gone wrong? And behind this thought is also the reality, and we even see it in Scripture. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Herman was preaching, and um, you know, he expressed, you know, even in Scripture, when we see Jesus healing the sick and the paralyzed and the blind, Ultimately, every single person that Jesus healed still ended up dying at the end of their natural course of life. We can do everything that we can to forestall and push back tragedy and sorrow and loss. We can try to insulate ourselves from injustice. But at some point, it's not up to us. There are things in life that are not under our control and no matter how hard we work, how successful we are, how educated we are, and how much we try to protect those we love, 
at some point, tragedy and loss and suffering is going to find us. And so it's with this realization that these beatitudes are so powerful. Because even though at some level they disturb us, they are also the exact words that we need to hear. Jesus doesn't say these words to be inspirational, like he's not writing a Hallmark card. He doesn't say these words to be aspirational, like I see all of the suffering that you guys are going through, and I just hope that it's going to be better and you're going to be blessed. But Jesus says these words of blessing in the Beatitudes as the Lord of heaven and earth, as the one with all power and authority, as the one who was here before the world began, as the one who was fully man and fully God. And Jesus declares, he declares that the poor in spirit are blessed, that those who are in mourning are blessed. That those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice are blessed because of who Jesus is. Because this is the reality in the kingdom where Jesus is king. And the power of these words, if we are willing to take hold of them, is that if we can be blessed in these circumstances that we are desperate to avoid, if, we, if there is a real blessing that is available to us, even if we are destitute in spirit, even if we are in deep mourning, even if we've been treated unjustly, then it's possible if we receive that blessing to be grateful even in those moments. Because when we know we are blessed, we can be grateful. Gratefulness, gratitude flows out of being blessed. So this is a really bold claim that Jesus is making. And we're going to uncover a little bit more about how this process occurs. It's actually the components of it are in this passage. But sometimes, in order to really believe that these words are real, because I think for a lot of us, there are things in our lives that are barely imaginable to us, that we try to put them out of our minds whenever we can because uh, we're so afraid of the possibility of them coming to pass. And in the back of our minds, we feel like if that came to pass, it would be unsurvivable. We would be destroyed. Our lives would be destroyed. All of our hopes and dreams would be destroyed. Our capacity for joy would be destroyed. Certainly our capacity for gratitude and our, maybe our relationship with God destroyed. Okay? There are things that feel unimaginable to us that we at least emotionally feel like would be not survivable. But Jesus is making the exact opposite claim right here in the Beatitudes. And sometimes in order to believe that these words of Jesus are real, we actually need to see it expressed truthfully in the lives of someone we know. And so today, we're going to hear from a story inside of our community. It's going to start with a video, and then we're going to hear firsthand what the journey of radical gratitude looks like when it's lived out. Let's go ahead and roll the video. She was shy, very loving, loved the Lord, singing and being goofy and very caring very caring 
She loved both soccer and basketball, but I think especially basketball. Uh, Christiana, at about age seven, started complaining of her wrist joints hurting. And we didn't know what it was for a while, but she was diagnosed with juvenile arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis. Um, it took a while to get that under control, but eventually they got medication, cortisone shots, and she was fine. She was diagnosed with another autoimmune disease, very rare, called juvenile dermatomyositis, which affects skin, muscles, and her muscles started to degenerate. She actually had 900 donors. I mean, she had blood transfusions every day. She was having kidney failure, so she had dialysis every day. Um, she had a you know, swollen heart. She had diabetes. She had... Fluid around the lungs. Yeah, flu fluid around the lungs. And she passed away in December of 2005. It was just, uh, it was unreal. I just couldn't, and my girls, my girls, Evelyn and Serena, they, they, they really didn't have a clue. They were, we all were shocked, we, you know, because there's that denial in a little, in a way, because um, you just don't want it to happen. Um, and uh, we were all just so devastated. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, I can't even, I can't describe what we felt. We have people calling us that their friends have lost children. And so we're able to help them go through the same mourning process we've gone through. You know, different, it happens in, in different ways, but we're able to, to comfort them. I mean, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it talks about God who provides us the comfort so that we in turn can, can comfort others that are going through the same thing we are. The other big change in our family is we all wanted to go into the social sector and, and work. So what we were doing with technology, because we were both in technology, we decided this is just not fulfilling anymore. This is not what we're supposed to be doing. So we just completely shifted. Like I went to Green Pastures and worked with disabilities. Dwight left Hewlett Packard and decided to work for Envision Shelter Network. So he's working with homelessness. And my girls, one is, is going to be a social worker. And the other one is uh, going to work in the social sector, do social impact consulting. I mean, and she went to the Peace Corps. So we're all, all four of us, I think this experience has taught us that it's really about the people. It's about um, making an impact in people's lives. And I don't think that would have happened. Mm -mm. I don't think that would have mm -hmm. happened. It just changed us completely in how we looked at life. So I'm going to invite uh, Dwight and Maria Powery up. Um, for those who know Dwight and Maria, let's give them a <laughs> welcome. Um, for those who know Dwight and Maria uh, and their family, their family is just one of the most incredible families you'll ever meet. Uh, they live life with incredible joy and purpose and gratitude that shines forth in all of their relationships. And um, the question that I asked them uh, to be able to share a bit with us about today is uh, what, what their journey was like. Um, how did they survive the unimaginable? And 
um, when they were experiencing the, the deepest loss that um, a parent can probably imagine, how did they encounter the presence and the blessing of God in the midst of it? And how was it possible to move forward to the point where they're at now, where they're genuinely able to experience radical gratitude in the way that they live their lives? So um, give this to you. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. Good morning, NBCC. Well, let's do that again. Good morning, NBCC. Good morning. All right. So Maria and I are here to share our story, um, our story of going from grieving to gratitude. Um, how do you experience joy in the midst of tragedy? You grieve, you forgive, you worship. So we're going to take you through that process. I'm sure, how many of you have lost a loved one, um, family member, or a friend? Many of you. So, and you've experienced what we've experienced, except in different ways. It could have been someone who um, died tragically. It could have been someone that experienced illness over a long period of time. So it's different in how we all grieve and how we experience it. Um, it's, it's been 11 years. Um, Christiana would have been 21. Uh, she'd have been a senior in college. Probably university in California, following in um, her sister's footsteps, um, getting ready to graduate next year. Not sure what she'd be going into. But throughout that process, as we, as we think back on that, God took us through grieving. I remember the day we found out that Christiana, we were there when Christiana passed away. And her sisters, they spent the day at home um, or at school, and they would come visit her at night. And I remember them walking through the elevator and then me greeting them and telling them that their sister had passed away. Their sister had died. Um, if you lost someone close to you, you can experience or you can imagine the sobbing, the grieving. It's just not just a normal cry. It's like a deep, a deep sobbing. I remember them dropping their books and just me wrapping them in, the, in her arms and just crying, sobbing uncontrollably. Throughout that process, though, we've allowed each one of us to grieve differently. One of our daughters um, didn't want to talk about it. She was quiet throughout the whole process. Another one wrote songs and poems to express her grief. I went through and I was angry. God, why? Why at the age of 10 would you take this little girl from us? Why would you take our youngest daughter? Why us? What did we do? What did we do wrong? Was it our faith? What could we have done differently? Um, why didn't you heal her? We had hundreds, probably thousands of people around the world praying for her healing. Why didn't you heal her? But throughout that process, God was with us. Now, it's, it's a journey. It's not easy. It's a journey. Um, the other thing, and you probably experienced this too, is that life goes on, right? For other people, they're in there, and they're there you know, with you a couple months afterwards, but then for them, life goes on. For us, life stopped. It's a new, different type of life. Um, holidays were different. Birthdays are definitely different. Mother's and Father's Day was difficult and different. Thanksgiving, you know, we, we, we question, okay, Lord, what do we have to be thankful for when you took her home? When you took her home at 10. But we have a lot to be thankful for. And we're going to talk about 
that process as we went through it. We knew that we had to get through this and we need to, we needed to give our anger and our pain to God. We needed to do that in order to understand what the purpose was, what were the blessings, and to break that wedge that was between us and God. Um, we needed to be free. And in order to do that, we felt like we needed to forgive God. And you're probably wondering, forgive God? What are you talking about? He's perfect. He's, you know, he, he's, he doesn't, he's, he does not make a mistake. But we didn't really understand that. He decided that our daughter needed to be home with him. He did not do what we wanted him to do. We wanted her to be healed. And he didn't do that. That was difficult for us to understand. But it was part of his master plan that we didn't know about. So in our eyes, we needed to forgive him. He didn't need our forgiveness. We needed that for ourselves. So we had to go through that process. We also needed to forgive the doctors. Uh, the doctors did not find a cure. What do you mean you didn't find it? I, I remember the doctor coming into the room and shaking his head and saying, I don't know what to do next. I was like, what do you mean you don't know what to do? This was a very rare disease. And so we needed to accept that and to forgive them. Uh, for that. We needed to forgive ourselves. We blamed ourselves. We didn't, maybe we didn't take her to the hospital soon enough. Maybe, you know, we shouldn't have made her shoot that extra basket that she couldn't because she was weak. Um, I know that Dwight, specifically the day that she died, she came to him at the hospital and she said, Papi, she called him Papi, um, I'm going to die today. And he said, no, you're not. God's not going to take you. He's going to find a cure. But he regrets not asking her, why do you say that? Like God maybe spoke to her and said something to her. So we needed to forgive ourselves also. But throughout all of this, believe it or not, despite all the anger, we felt this inner peace, a peace that surpassed all understanding, as in uh, Philippians 4, 7. Uh, but it was a process. It was a process. This took supernatural power to give us this peace. So how do you turn um, from grieving and forgiveness into worship? I remember the social worker, um, the day uh, that Christiana passed away, said that 70 or 80% of parents split up or divorce after a child passes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we said, and we looked at each other and says, we're not going to be part of that 80%. We're going to be part of the 20%. Because we know that God is a God who does heal. Mm-hmm. So we turn into worship. And for many people, worship is different. But it's a choice that you have to make. You can choose to turn your back on God, or you can choose and walk with God. We chose to walk with God. It, it was tough. As I talked about before, when we talked about angry. You know, we had to work through, or I had to work through that process of, like, why God? But we chose to continue to worship God. And we worshiped him in different ways. We all um, read scripture. Uh, we all read Christian self-help books. Um, I-, I would get up early in the morning, 6 o'clock, for an hour and a half every day and get into the word because I could not 
function that day without having him and me uh, first. So that was uh, one way that we did it. Another way we did it is we prayed. I mean, throughout the day, not just, you know, in the morning or at night or at um, mealtime. We're on our knees praying because I still wanted to understand why. Why? Um, and for the other thing is that praise. I mean, the, uh, the song we sang earlier, you know, I am thankful. Oh, it just means something a little more to me. I remember um, uh, we were around Christiana's um, hospital bed after she passed away. And we were there singing praise songs, Here I Am to Worship, with nurses and doctors that were there. I don't think they were Christians. I don't even know if they knew the words. But we're lifting up songs to him, uh, just worshiping God. Another thing that we did as a family is we decided that we needed to journal. Um, so we had a family journal that we kept on the coffee table that we all wrote in as we had memories um, of her pleasant memories as well as not so pleasant memories, any dreams that we might have had. Uh, we made sure that we wrote them in the family journal as well as our own individual journals. These were ways that we needed to express and, and um, just release a lot of the pain that we had. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that um, uh, being thankful that... Again, it was a peace that God had given us, and it wasn't easy to get to this point that we started thinking about, okay, with all of this, what are the things that we needed to be thankful for? And so we thought back to, it started even when she was at the hospital, and um, we had this sign up on her wall, uh, and I, I'll have them put it up on the, on the screen, um, we didn't realize until that point that part of her name was Christ power. And so we had uh, that up on the wall and doctors would come in and they'd have goosebumps. They'd, they'd tell us they had goosebumps. And it started then, you know, in, in, in her showing uh, the love of Christ uh, to those that came around her. Um, and then even after uh, the memorial service, m- many people came to know the Lord, even till this day, um, so we found out that the hospital, they, the doctors got in touch with us, which we're still friends with them, and they told us that they had discovered two new procedures since working with Christiana. Um, in fact, six months after she was in the hospital, there was a little girl that was her same age, with the same disease, the same severity, show up, and they were able to save her. Um, that was, that was an, I was so thankful, but at the same time, honestly, I was like, really, you know, what about my girl? Um, but I have to be thankful that these other children are being saved as a result of, of what they've discovered through her. Um, the dreams, um, I'm thankful for the dreams that we get and we journal about where we see her. And then another story I wanted to share is um, a couple months after she passed away, we went to this, friends invited us to this other church, and we were there, and we were sitting, and we noticed that there was this little girl that was sitting a couple rows ahead of us, and she kept looking back at us. She looked just like Christiana when Christiana was five. It was really amazing. And she kept looking at us really you know, intently, and she actually, we waved her over, and her mom, we didn't know her mom, but she was not far. And she's like, sure, she can sit on your lap. And she came and sat on our laps. And we talked with them afterwards and found out that she had the same birthday as Christiana. 
it was just like these little gifts that God was giving us when we needed them. Uh, and I was just so thankful for that. Another way that we worshiped is, remember earlier I talked about the why and the how, right? But through that process, God changed that why and how to what. What, and I continue to ask him, what is the purpose that you have in this for us? What should we do to continue to show your love to others? And what we've learned through that process of what is um, I've continued to coach basketball. I've touched, God has touched 50 families over the last 10 years that wouldn't have, wouldn't have been touched uh, in this process. Maria and I do a bike ride for the Arthritis Foundation, California Coast Classic, 525 miles. If you'd asked me 10 years ago if I'd be riding 525 miles, I would have told you <laughs> no. But we ride 525 miles from San Francisco to L.A. for the Arthritis Foundation. And our team has raised over a half a million dollars for the Arthritis Foundation in the last 10 years. So, so you talk about, you know, taking your time to go through the process. And it takes time. Right? We don't know what else God has for us tomorrow or a week or next year, but we know that God is going to take us through that process and as we continue to worship him. And then um, we also continue to keep her memory alive, not only through the bike ride, but we've started these little traditions um, in our family where every, um, every year for her birthday as well as her homegoing date, we go to Chevy's because that was her favorite restaurant, so we make sure that... We do that. Um, we also buy an ornament every year in her memory. Um, we also created uh, the AlsoTouch.com website, um, which we referred to earlier. Also, Touch were the last two words in her journal. Well, she journaled when she was in the hospital, and you're actually able to read that journal if you go to uh, AlsoTouch.com. She was praying for the little boy next to her in the hospital, and she said, Lord, please also touch. And those are the last two words that she wrote. So we have also touch.com. We've got a Facebook page. Our team that rode down the, the coast for the Arthritis Foundation is called Team Also Touch. We've also started a, an Also Touch um, scholarship fund for kids that can't, um, aren't able to go to school because they can't afford it. So a lot, a lot of things that we do in her memory to keep her alive in us and to see God work um, till this day. Hmm. So I just want to leave you with a scripture verse. Um, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Thank you so much, Dwight and Maria. Um, I want to call out just as we move to closing. Um, 
just want to call out from the Beatitudes, from Dwight and Maria's story, just a couple of lessons that God gives us about how we can experience God's blessing when we're going through the outcomes that we most wanted to avoid, when we're going through the unimaginable. What does it look like to be able to work through a process where we're able to um, hold on to God's blessing and be able to hold on to gratitude even in in life's darkest moments? And the first thing that I just want to highlight from their story, from Scripture, is that we need to grieve well. That a part of cultivating gratitude is grieving well. And this may be counterintuitive to us um, because a lot of times we feel like grief and gratitude don't go together. These are two opposite. They're like oil and water or like broccoli and ice cream. Like we don't put those together. But I think one of the things that we hear in the story, and it's, it's one of the things that Jesus is teaching, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And Jesus isn't saying, blessed are those who pretend not to mourn. Blessed are those who don't think that they need to mourn. But blessed are those who are actually grieving. And grieving isn't just about what we do when someone that we love has passed away. Grieving is an, is an honest expression before God about what emotions we're feeling because of what life has brought. So when we feel loss of any kind, if we're feeling like someone has wounded us or life has wounded us or life has turned out in a way that we don't expect. There's an opportunity to lay our emotions of loss and of grief before God, to be honest with Him. And it's when we do that that we're able to get them out of inside of us and create space to receive the comfort and the gratitude that God intends to give us. And it's actually when we hold them in that the emotions of grief fester and become other emotions like bitterness and resentment. And so we need to be able to take that step of grieving. And it might be hard for some people. I I didn't grow up in a family that does grief well. You know, we did kind of silent stoicism well. That's what I mostly saw in my parents. Like they try to hold it in and be tough. But a first step for many of us for grief, for grieving, might simply be to try to make our feelings and our emotions concrete, to find a piece of paper and write down what we're feeling. And when we've gotten that down and when we feel safe, maybe we take that paper and then we're able to bring that before God in prayer. And then when that feels like we've been able to express that, maybe we're able to talk about that with a trusted and safe friend, to be able to get it out, to be able to grieve and to know that God meets us in our grief. And then the second thing that I want to highlight, the second lesson that we see is to forgive well. And a couple weeks ago, Pastor Herman preached a message about radical forgiveness. Certainly it is true that when other people have wounded us, when we can't let go of those wrongs, it makes it very difficult, if not impossible, for us to experience gratitude. If we feel like we've been wronged and we can't let it go. But one of the things that I most appreciate about the honesty of Dwight and Maria sharing is that sometimes we have to go through that very same process of forgiving in our relationship with God. And it's not about God doing something wrong and him asking us for forgiveness. As Maria said, it's not like he needs it. But we can't move forward unless we make peace with God 
for the suffering and the loss that we face in this life. One of the things that I appreciate so much about Scripture is that it gives us a guide to be able to express these kinds of emotions. Um, both grieving and anger uh, of the 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms, which is the prayer book of Scripture, um, at least 68 of them have some element of grief that's attached to them. And some of them are very upfront that that grief and that anger is directed at God. So just one quick example, Psalm 44 is all about the catastrophe that has befallen the community of Israel. And in a way that's kind of amazing that this is in our Bibles, the writer of the psalm lists them all out. And then in verse 23 to 26, this is what he said. He says, Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. These are incredibly strong words, but they exist in Scripture to be able to help us to know that it's safe, it's okay, that God can take our anger, and that he actually wants us to express it to him, because it's only when we express it that he can dialogue back to us. And it's only when we can engage with God that we can realize a couple of key things. The first thing is that we realize that when we bring our grief and our anger to God, that we actually encounter a God who knows what grief is. That part of the heart and very nature of God the Father is the grief that God experienced over the death of his son Jesus when he died on the cross. And so when we come to God, we know that God understands our grief and he comes alongside us. And then the other thing that happens is that God directs our attention to the cross. And we see Jesus dying on the cross, pouring out his love for us that worked forgiveness and salvation on our behalf. And so we're able, even as we ask the questions of why, we're able to look at the cross and see God's response. And we may not get a perfect answer to the question of why, but we learn that the answer is not because God doesn't love us because God demonstrated his love for all time and eternity on the cross. And I think one of the things that you hear in the Powery story is that it is in the dialogue with God when we're grieving and we're angry that God brings us to the point of do we really believe what the scripture says? Do we really believe that the power of Christ and the hope of Christ is not just for this world and is not just to protect us and exempt us from suffering, but the power and the hope of Christ is a hope that transcends our lives. And that there is a hope that we have, even as we grieve, we can grieve with hope because we can believe and trust that God has the last word in a way that transcends death itself. And if we're able to believe, then we're able to release our grief and our anger to God and to be able to move forward. And that's part of the challenge even of believing these words in the Beatitudes. Can we believe that blessed are the poor in spirit? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness. And that's what leads us into the third thing that we need to do. We need to grieve well. We need to forgive well. And then at the very end, or all through it, 
We need to worship well. And part of worshiping well is not just creating a picture of God in our mind in a way that fits our needs because we desperately want to avoid all suffering and we desperately want a God who works like a vending machine when we want something that God provides it for us. But when we worship well, we see God as he is, as a God who knows our suffering, as a God who paid for our sins, as a God who died on the cross that can use the worst suffering for redemptive purposes but does not exist simply to protect us from suffering. And one of the realities of history is that for most of history, Christians didn't have a difficult time with following God and being in relationship with God and having that coexist with suffering. But that's something that tends to be really hard for us because we have gotten so good at trying to avoid suffering in our lives that it's so difficult for us to conceive that God could love us and allow pain and tragedy, allow us to experience the brokenness of this world that we live in. And yet God says that we will experience because otherwise the Beatitudes don't make sense to us. Otherwise the Beatitudes have no meaning when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst because of injustice, for they will be filled. And it's when we worship God as he is and believe that he genuinely is a part of even the darkest valleys in our life, even the unimaginable or the barely imaginable, that he will be alongside us, that he can allow us to survive it. And, he, and, and that even in the midst of those things, we are able to receive his blessing. And because we can be blessed, we can be radically grateful no matter what circumstances we go through. So I know that this is incredibly difficult, and in a moment I'm going to pray to close us. But I want to encourage you, if God is touching your heart today in a particular way that you know that you need to respond to this, you need to bring your anger to him over something that you've lost, that you need to restore a relationship with him about. Or if, um, if there's grief that you need to be able to pour out. Or there's an acknowledgement that you need to worship him as he is. I want to encourage you just to write on your connection card a prayer as a response. In all things, help me be grateful. In all things, help me be grateful. And that's a, a prayer that we can express of knowing that we can't control all of our circumstances. But God will be faithful and good to us no matter what we face and that we can receive blessing from him that allows us to sustain gratefulness, gratitude. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you that you are so good to us. And Father God, I pray that as we open our hearts to you, you would help us to be able to truly be grateful for the things of this world, but to also hold them loosely. Um, that there are so many things... Uh, Blessings in our life that really are fragile, but we can be grateful for them knowing that they are temporary, even friends and family and health and all sorts of things. And then we can also be grateful for things that will never change. We can have our blessing and our gratitude firmly rooted in your eternal love that has been poured out 
from the beginning of time and expressed through the love of Christ on the cross. So we pray that you would help us to take hold of that this day. In Jesus' name, amen.